Calling all AEC professionals. Get ready for unparalleled professional insights with detailed and original podcasts by RCAT. This is the podcast that brings you the untold stories and lessons learned behind the design and delivery of a building project. Hey, it's Sharice Lakeside, aka the CSI Kraken, and your host. Join me as we dive deep into the tales of conflict, triumph, and sheer ingenuity. Yeah, so when Serena was named for the, it was going to be named for the building, you know, we really were able to work with teams at Nike Branding and how to really infuse her influence and identity in the very public spaces. Detailed features architects, engineers, builders, and manufacturers who spill the beans on the most complex, interesting, and downright odd building conditions they've encountered. Another challenge of the of the shuttle is actually and putting it in launch position is how you brace that seismically. It's really supported by only two pins at the base of the booster rockets. And there's a large base isolator that's underneath the shuttle that kind of prevents it from moving too much in an earthquake. The, you know, when you have 600 people or 300 people in a room, acoustically, you really need a high floor to floor so that you can have the right acoustic environment for people to be able to talk and that, that speech intelligibility is really good. Every episode unveils lessons learned and connects you to the products you need to navigate similar challenges. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Detailed today and be prepared for the unexpected on your next project. Every building has a story and we are here to tell it. Everyone has heard some variation of the saying, when you get knocked down, you get back up again. But have you ever had to do that 19 times? Well, today on the She Builds podcast, we will share the story of Norma Merrick Scaleric, the woman of many firsts. So let's start the show. And welcome back to She Builds Podcast, where we will share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. I'm Jessica Rogers, an aspiring architect, a Miami native, currently based out of Washington, D.C. And I'm joined by my fellow host, Nurjiri Rivas, living the rodeo life in Houston, Texas. And Lizzie Rar, coming to you from San Francisco. All right. As always, before we begin, a quick disclaimer. We are not historians or experts. Right. So if we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us. Leave us a comment and we will all continue learning together. Awesome. So one of the reasons why I like that we are doing this podcast is because we get to talk about people that we have never heard of. These women have incredible stories, but they are not made public like the more commonly known architects that we were exposed to in school. Which brings me to the woman that we are going to talk about today, because before this show, have you guys ever heard of Norma Merrick Scaleric? One clue, the state of New York. Anything? I never heard about her in school. I've never heard of her in or out of school. Well, neither did I. Well, maybe I did, but it wasn't in the traditional setting. It was more like in passing. If we were studying Black History Month in February or... Student organizations probably promoted her work, um, but that that's about it. So who was she? Yeah, what did she do? Well, 
So Norma Merrick Scaleric was the first African-American woman licensed in the state of New York and California. Oh, wow. That thing. <laughs> right? <laughs> but let's start at the beginning. Norma Merrick was born on April 15th, 1926 in Harlem, New York. She was the only child to Walter Ernest Merrick, a doctor, and Amy Merrick, a seamstress. They were both immigrants from Trinidad. So although she grew up in Harlem and Brooklyn, Norma attended predominantly white schools, including Hunter College High School, a very selective public school for girls. Um, while she was there, she excelled in math and science, and she showed talents in the fine arts. Norma was a daddy's girl. They would go fishing and house painting and did carpentry. It was actually her father that suggested architecture as a career. So ladies, who or what would you say influenced your architecture career? So for me, I would say it was definitely my parents and my aunt. My parents bought a fixer-upper house when I was about 12 and did most of the work themselves. So I spent most weekends painting, tiling or refinishing cabinets. We had a tile saw in the garage, actually. Cool. And yeah, it was fun. My mom was always drawing up new floor plans of how she wanted to renovate the house and sharing them with her sister, my aunt. And my aunt is an architect. So all of them were really supportive and helped me decide where to go to school and how to get there. What about you, Nordri? My mother was my strongest cheerleader. She supported me in wanting to be an architect ever since I was a little girl. I think like seven or six. And then in high school, one of my best friends had two parents that are architects. So I have to thank Bianca, Luli and Americo because if it weren't for them, I would probably not have made it into Syracuse Architecture School. So thank you, guys. What about you, Jessica? Well, like Norma, I was interested in the fine arts. Oh, you went to art school, right? Yeah, I did. Um, I went to a magnet art school in Miami. Um, while I was there, I was introduced to architecture and it kind of just stuck with it. So that's how you ended up at Syracuse? Pretty much. Where did Norma go to school? Right. Back to Norma. So Norma attended Barnard College for a year gaining the minimum of one year of liberal arts education that was the prerequisite for admission to the School of Architecture at Columbia University. So according to Norma, architecture school was difficult. Many of her classmates were veterans of World War II. Some already had their bachelor's or master's degrees, and they would collaborate with one another on assignments. Unlike Norma, she commuted to school and she struggled to finish her work while taking the subway. And she mostly did her work alone and at home. That sounds terrible. Yeah. She later said, though, the competition was keen, but I had a stick to it attitude and never gave up, which I think a lot of architecture students can relate to. Am I right? Yeah. I wouldn't say that our school in particular was super competitive, um, but it's not to say that it wasn't demanding. Right. There's like a lot that yeah. we're expected to do and just like a lot of pressure to create a ton of work. Yeah. Um, I think what's interesting, too, is the collaborative aspect of it, because um, I think that's what we've experienced while we were in school. And it's something that still happens today. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of sad that she didn't get that same experience while she was in school. Yeah. yeah. Um, but despite all of her difficulties, Norma graduated from Columbia in 1950 with a bachelor's of architecture degree. 
She was one of the two women in her class, and she was the only African-American woman to graduate as well. Yeah, way to go, Norma. Yeah, that's amazing. (laughs) I just can't imagine that tough, alienating environment she must have been in. Yeah. And for Norma, this was just the beginning. After graduating from Columbia, you could imagine that at that time in the 1950s, there was a lot of discrimination, not only Mm -hmm. for minorities, but for women in the field. And Norma was no stranger to that. So when Norma started to apply for firms, she got rejected 19 times. In her biography, she quotes, they weren't hiring women or African-Americans, and I didn't know which of the two was working against me. So eventually, she finally found a job working as a junior draftsperson in the city of New York's Department of Public Works. After a few years working at the Department of Public Works, she felt that her talents were being underutilized. So to help her in her career, Norma decided to become a licensed architect. So in 1954, she did just that and became the first African-American woman licensed in the state of New York. Nice. So did getting licensed change things for her or make it easier for her to get other work? Uh, Sure. Once Norma got licensed, she did move on from working at the Department of Public Works. But at the firm that she was working at, she was still doing basic tasks. Like what? Like uh, bathroom layouts. Well, you got to start somewhere. Sure. Um, but it's not the typical work or responsibility you would expect to receive once you got your architectural license. I guess that's true. Yeah, you work so hard. But long story short, in 1955, Norma moved on from that firm and joined Skidmer, Owings and Merrill, or more commonly known today as SOM. For those of you that don't know, SOM is a big firm known for many big projects. Yeah, they're known for some pretty iconic projects like the Sears Tower in Chicago, now called the Willis Tower, or the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. And both of those were the tallest building in the world when they were built. Yes. So while Norma worked at SOM, she was given more responsibilities and increasingly large scale projects. And she also taught courses on architecture at the New York City Community College. What about her personal life? Did she have a family? Yeah, she did. So Norma was actually married three times. Uh, She she first got married in 1947 and had two sons, Gregory and David Fairweather. Um, In 1967, she married architect Rolf Skolarik, who also happens to be a Bauhaus architect. Um, And that's where she got her last name, Norma Merrick Skolarik. And in 1985... She married uh, Dr. Cornelius Welch, her husband at the time of her death. So, mm-hmm. Gotcha. Uh, so this is the part in her career that touches my little heart. Uh, in 1959, Norma became the first African-American woman member of the American Institute of Architects, also known as the AIA. Talk about what it means to be part of the AIA. Sure. So the AIA in general, it's an organization that advocates for the profession. It's not the actual licensing part of being an architect. However, this organization has quite the reputation that you would want to be a part of. So when people think of architects, they think of the American Institute of Architects. Um, So that's why when you if you were to become a licensed architect right after your name, you would want to have the credentials AIA because that is something that is more commonly known than to have 
the title registered architect after your name um, or not. You become like a resident advisor or something. Yeah. RA is, <laughs> is not as prestigious as AIA or doesn't sound as nice. <laughs> yeah. There's so many ways that RA can go than yeah. AIA at the end of your name. But uh, Jessica, Norma wasn't the first African-American woman licensed as an architect, was she? She wasn't. You're right. Um, so Norma was thought to be the third black woman to be licensed as an architect in the United States. First, there was Beverly Lorraine Green. Uh, she was licensed in 1942. Then there's Georgia Louise Harris Brown in 1949. So a uh, future episode alert. <laughs> However, to have Norma become a part of the AIA in 1959, it goes to show that it was still a white man's club. That even in the 1940s, they would have never accepted a woman or an African-American woman until at least 10 years after Beverly. Wow. So after five years working at SOM in 1960, Norma moved to L.A. to take a job at Gruen Associates. And after arriving West, Norma still faced scrutiny, being the only African-American woman in a firm. and. To help her situation, Norma decided to get her California architectural license, making her the first African-American woman to receive her license in the state of California. Woo. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you that are not licensed architects, to become a licensed architect, you have to take a series of exams. Um, you have to do a lot of other things that depends on the state on which you're trying to get licensed. So to add to everything, um, for someone to become licensed in the state of California, you have to take an additional exam. Not an easy task. It's not an easy task. But, um, you know, in the audience or in, in the room, in the virtual room, <laughs> we have a we have someone, Lizzie R.A., <laughs> is a registered architect uh, for the state of California. You can you can further uh, elaborate on the CSE. <laughs> yeah. So the California Supplemental Exam or the CSE, it, it's just an additional exam on top of the ARE, which are the Architectural Registration Exams. Um, and it has some of the same stuff that's on the ARE, like about contracts, construction administration. But a lot of what it's testing is specific knowledge of California laws, statutes and building codes that are like triggered depending on where your project is and things like that. Would you say that it's harder to become licensed in California than in other states? I mean, I think so, just because the, there's another exam and it's like added information that you have to learn, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So despite all of that, Norma got her license and with her license, she became the director of architecture at Gruen Associates. Woo! She was probably the first black woman to become director of architecture so another first how many firsts do we have now <laughs> we've lost count <laughs> yeah okay. she graduated from columbia okay, uh, okay. there's too many <laughs> if we had but it would be nice like it would be great to have like dings for all the firsts but then ding. this wouldn't be a podcast it'd be a song just like ding 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 ding, ding. jessica what's the first thing you said that she became the first african-american woman licensed in the state of new york was that the first first no actually no that's true i don't say that she's the first in columbia i said she was the only one mm -hmm. oh okay yeah Okay, so we've got, I found one. Okay, 
So state of New York, state of California. AIA and director. Uh, she's. Oh, she's and director probably, and group. We're at four. We are at four. We're at four. <laughs> <laughs> the next time you say first, I'm going to say, I think we're at five first now. <laughs> okay. So one thing to note, even though Norma worked at this big architecture firm, she will always serve as a project manager and not as a design architect. Like, for example, one of the projects that she helped design was the U.S. Embassy in Tokyo. She's not credited as a design architect. Cesar Belli is. She would collaborate with Cesar on several of the buildings like this one that I mentioned, but she wasn't the one that spoke to clients face to face. That was all Cesar. So, Jessica, in this case, because I know it's different depending on the firm. What was the difference between design architect and project manager? Yeah. So in this scenario, the design architect is the one that makes all of the design decisions. They're the ones that meets the clients face to face. They're the ones that are kind of like the face behind the project. Mm. The project manager does the daily work of like producing the documents, coordinating with contractors and vendors. They're like more behind the scenes. Gotcha. Why do you think... They didn't let her be the design architect. So the best way that I think I can put it is if I was to read a quote from Marsha Ponell, a former president of the AIA, quote, she was more than capable of designing large projects, but it was unheard of to have an African-American female who was registered as an architect. You didn't trot that person out in front of your clients and say, this is the person designing your project. Nevertheless, her formidable technical skills and rigorous work ethic made her a brilliant project manager and propelled her ascension to a top position in the firm. I hate that that is the time that she was living in, that that was just like how it was, right? That they didn't want her to be the face of the project. I'm exactly. not going to lie, though. I don't love Marsha Pernell's use of the word trot her out that to me is a little bit like i don't love that you know i know he's trying to compliment her and say that like despite the fact that that was the way it was in the time she still like made it to like a high place in the firm but it sounds very not great like kind like of like she would have been a show horse yeah exactly and like oh look at this spectacle you know um, right so I don't love that, but, you know, I understand what he's saying. Yeah, I think it's interesting because reading this quote, I mean, besides the trot part, <laughs> it does make you wonder about the case of Norma. Like, what was the bigger issue that she was running up against? Was it because of her gender or was it because of her skin color? I don't think we'll ever know. And I think that we should remind ourselves or I need to remind myself that I'm listening to this with a 2020 mindset. Right. So this all took place during the 1960s. And so the mentality of that time, it would have been absurd for a woman, much less a minority, to be leading a project. But it doesn't make it any less wrong. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I feel like it's still upsetting that that was the way it was, right? The fact that he can say this quote and we can be like, oh, yeah, I understand because that's how it was back then. I mean, that sucks, right? Yeah, I agree. But Norma had a strong work ethic. And she had sharp technical skills, which made her a great project manager. And that actually moved her into a top position of the firm I grew in. And Norma still believed, this is from her autobiography, architecture should be working on improving the environment of people in their homes, in their places of work, and their places of recreation. It should be functional and pleasant, 
not just in the image of the ego of the architect. That's really nice. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, me too. So Norma, she stayed at Gruen for 20 years. And during that time, that's where she married her second husband, Rolf Skalerik. And he was an associate at Gruen. Oh, that's right. That's how she got Skalerik in her name. Right. So like in New York, while Norma is in California, she's also a professor at UCLA and the University of Southern California. And in 1980, Norma was the first African-American woman elected to the College of Fellows of the AIA. And she was the first woman from Los Angeles chapter of AIA to be awarded this honor. I think we're at like seven firsts now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I have a question. What does it mean to become a fellow of the AIA? Right. So a fellow is basically an elevated status of membership at the AIA. Um, To become a fellow, there's this rigorous application process and there's people that like approve your application that you get um, recommended to apply. And it's basically to prove your contributions to the profession. And it's actually something that a lot of architects strive for in their careers. So instead of having AIA at the end of their name, they will one day have FAIA at the end of their name. Fancy. Sure. Actually, fun fact. So once you become a fellow, they do all of their fellow uh, announcements, so to speak, I think in the early spring. Um, And when it comes to the summer of the year, summertime, when AIA holds their annual conference during that conference, they have what they call an investiture, which is basically the like they wear gowns and like caps and gowns types of things. And it's all to get their fellow pin. Oh, so it's kind of fancy. Yeah. But the F is for fellow, but fancy fellow, fancy fellow, you know. Yeah. So. Also in 1980, uh, Norma joins the firm Walton Beckett Associates as the vice president. And there she was responsible for working on the Terminal 1 at Los Angeles International Airport or LAX. Um, When she was when this project was completed, it was right before the 1984 Olympic Games. That's a pretty big project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Icon. Mm -hmm. So in 1985. Norma co-founded the woman-owned firm Siegel, Scaleric, and Diamond with Margot Siegel and Catherine Diamond. And at the time, get ready, Nergity. I'm ready. The firm was the largest woman-owned architectural firm in the United States, which also meant that Norma was the first African-American woman to own an architectural practice. First number eight. (laughs) Or nine. So... If I miscounted. So... Actually, Norma ended up leaving Siegel, Scleric, and Diamond after only working there for four years because her and her partners, they weren't able to get a lot of commissions for large scale projects. And that's what Norma liked to work on. Um, She also missed the income and the challenges that working on these large scale projects brought. Um, So she joined the Jurd partnership as a principal of project management. And in Jurd, she worked on the Mall of Americas in Minneapolis, you know. Talk about big. Yeah, she really scaled up there. (laughs) Yeah, it's a huge project. Um, (laughs) The projects that we're mentioning on this episode, they're on our show notes. Um, But yeah. Uh, And in 1992, Norma retired from practice. 
So we know that she taught at different universities during the early 1990s and all throughout her career, pretty much. Um, She was very engaged with public and professional services. So she also lectured at Howard University in Washington, D.C., Columbia University and other places. Uh, She was really she really enjoyed mentoring the young minority and women architects. So Catherine Diamond and Marshall Purnell, they both credit her for mentoring them by example and encouraging their success. Wow. So, yeah, she also served on several boards and committees in both the AIA and the National Council of Architectural Registration Boards and CARB, also the California State Board of Architectural Examiners. So in 2008, the AIA honored her with the Whitney M. Young Jr. Award, which recognizes an architect or organization that embodies the profession's responsibility to address social issues. So Whitney M. Young, he is another man of many firsts, as well as Norma. And his charge was about bringing diversity into into the profession, which hence this award is named after. It's interesting how these ladies like Milka from episode one retire and then they don't stop. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I used to think that retirement means that I have more time to play bingo because I already do that. But I... I really am so inspired listening to Milka's story and today to Norma. Retirement means mm-hmm. let's share knowledge and empower women in our field. So, yeah, that's really yeah, great. For sure. So this brings us close to the end. In February 6, 2012, after a lifetime of extraordinary accomplishments and leadership, Norma passed away due to heart failure in California at the age of 85. Well, that was a life really well lived, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we've reached the point, uh, the second half of our episode. So let's talk about who our karyotid is for this week. Nordri, can you give us a reminder of who or what a karyotid is? Yeah. So a karyotid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek style building. Each episode will choose a karyotid, a woman who is working today, furthering the profession through their work and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. Awesome. So the karyotid for this episode is drumroll, please. It's Gabrielle Bullock. Yay! So Gabrielle was recently named the 2020 Whitney Young Award recipient. Hmm. She was the first African-American and first woman to assume the role of managing director at Perkins and Will. And since 2013, she has served as the firm's director of global diversity Um, as a compelling role model. Bullock also champions diversity throughout the entire profession. Her efforts has led her to be the first female African-American president of the International Interior Design Association. She has done several speaking engagements and served several committee roles for AIA and other allied organizations. I remember hearing Gabrielle speak at the Women's Leadership Summit in 2019, and it was really great. Just everything that she had to say. And it was a great lecture and it was really inspiring. Well, it wasn't a lecture. It was a 
conversation panel a panel yeah yeah yes i've actually met her before um and she's really nice and i she's one of those women that are they're like advocates and like champions for like women to succeed Mm. um so she's like norma you know she wants us to like step up and it's kind of interesting that she's the first uh she holds a lot of firsts in her titles i think i counted one or two two (laughs) yeah um and it's also nice to like bookend that she's the recent one um norma was she won hers back in the day so it's kind of cool to bring them yeah together that's a great carry to Jessica. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so <laughs> with all that, uh, we are at the end of our episode. But before we go, I would like to thank a few people that make this show happen. First, there's CMYK for the music. This band actually graduated from Syracuse with us. So shout out to them. You should go listen to them on Spotify. Mm-hmm. Uh, John W., our technical producer, who literally puts this whole thing together. Good luck, John. Um, And most of all, you listeners, thank you so, so much for listening. And we hope you enjoyed learning about Norma and Gabrielle, along with all of our banter and that you're inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, thank you. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. We're excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a comment on our website at SheBuildsPodcast.com or follow us on Instagram at SheBuildsPodcast and on Twitter at SheBuildsPod. Until then, bye! So you, so I pronounced the L's. Yes, yes. that's why they're capitalized for you because... I don't remember. This is episode two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, belly. Yeah. Belly. Yeah. Belo, belly, belly, belly. It's Italian. Hey, designers and curious minds. Ever wondered about the stories hiding within your building's walls? I'm Carrie Seaburn, structural engineer and host of Unstruct the podcast that decodes and simplifies major concepts of structural design. Behind the math and physics, structural engineering simply predicts building behavior. Join me as we simplify the complex, making structural design accessible to everyone. Nowadays, instead of measuring it via cost, we're saying, well, what about carbon, you know? We've got two levers now that we can, if if an architect has an inefficient design, we can hit them with two levers if you like. The official casualty figure is 55,000. Everybody I talked to told me that the actual figure is at least three times as much. And I believe that. I mean, seeing what I saw, Turkish codes are good and, and they have been improving, but compliance was completely lacking. Fluent in steel, concrete, masonry, and timber design, I'll bring you leading engineers to dissect the tales behind their building structure. Whether you're an architect, contractor, engineer, or just love a good story, this podcast is for you. Yeah, beam penetrations. That's a fun topic on this project. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Unstruct. From within your walls, hear the story behind how your building stands today.